it's a very warm welcome to all the listeners out there listening to this uh, edition of the podcast. Uh, today we have a very special guest with us, uh, with us, uh, Miss Ria Mohanty, and uh, we have a very different and. Uh, a special topic to discuss that is buddhism uh, in which we'll be talking about two aspects that is psychological tips that we can learn from the religion of buddhism and nextly we will be discussing that how we can be a buddha in the city in the modern age life so coming to the topic uh, undoubtedly indians carry a variant of serotonin transporter gene which makes them vulnerable to a lot of mental illness especially to depression that's why we all say that uh, by 2020 that's now uh, 400 million people are at risk indians especially the middle class indians are often suspicious of emotions they don't even understand their feelings or how to manage them consequently there has been a lot of denial and repression of pain and as a result of this uh, there has been a lot of usually manifested physically and chronic abdomen or back pain or headaches or appetite issues in respective of various mental illness i would also go far as to say that 40% of corporate india has experienced or will experience depression in the coming days and years but why does it happen so to understand this we must consider that there are a lot of cultural changes lifestyle enormous stress sleep deprivation pollution bad food overuse of smartphones aspirations ambitions frustrations envy and this brings to us the importance of today's topic that how can we practice a buddha's life in a modern city So moving on today we have a special guest Ms Ria Mohanty uh, she is a psychologist by profession having a expertise uh, which uh, a lot of uh, people must not be well aware is graphology and uh, she has uh, having experience of education from Jamia Millia and Amity University and uh, uh, very warm welcome Ms Ria to our podcast thank you okay so uh, before moving on i want to uh, stress on some facts and stats related to buddhism uh, currently 7% of the world's population uh, practices buddhism as a religion and uh, 488 million in total as per as the 2017-18 figures and uh, in modern days uh, mahayana buddhism is widely believed and the largest being the most prevalent in countries like china japan south korea and vietnam secondly there is uh, theravada buddhism which is uh, second largest branch and it is practiced in cambodia sri lanka laos and uh, there is also another uh, sub part that is vajrayana buddhism it is uh, practiced in tibet nepal bhutan and mongolia before we move on further uh i must emphasize that uh, gautam buddha was one of the rarest of the religious leaders who came forward to destigmatize mental illness so that's why buddhism has a got a special role to play in the subject of psychology and psychiatry currently there are seven countries where buddhists are the majority they are the cambodia thailand burma bhutan sri lanka laos Mongolia emphasizing on this fact is because that if we go by the world psychiatric society journals the prevalence of mental illness in these countries are in the percentage of below 5% percent. 
whereas the world average stands nearly 15 to 17 percent. That brings the curiosity on our mind that why Buddhism is so special. Moving on, uh, so again welcoming Ms. Ria. Uh, can we um, proceed forward that uh, how Buddhism is a different religion altogether as per your perception of psychology? Yeah, yeah surely. So, what makes Buddhism so special and attractive, despite the fact that it has very less number of uh, followers and no God unlike other religions? Yeah. Buddhism is a philosophy of life. It's based on the philosophy of impermanence. So practitioners have always understood impermanence as, as the cornerstone of the Buddhist teaching and uh, practice. So all that exists is impermanence. This is the truth. Okay, mm-hmm. so nothing lasts. Therefore, uh, nothing can be grasped or held on to. When yeah. we don't fully appreciate this simple but profound to- truth, mm-hmm. we suffer. And uh, when we accept it, uh, then we have the real peace and understanding which helps remaining fully and mindful and calm. So as far as the classical Buddhism is concerned, I think that impermanence is the number one inescapable and essentially the painful fact of life. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so it is the singular existential problem that the whole edifice of Buddhist practice is meant to address. And to understand the impermanence at the deepest possible level, it is not that normal meaning, uh, the meaning of impermanence, uh, that uh, the maximum people understand it at a very superficial level. Uh, Rather, uh, it is uh, a very deep understanding of impermanence and to merge with it fully is the whole of the Buddhist path. Okay. So, yeah, so the uh, Buddha's final words uh, expressed were uh, that uh, impermanence is inescapable, everything vanishes, therefore there is nothing more important than continuing the path with diligence. And all other options are either deny or short shift the problem. So we can't bypass the problem, uh, rather we have to accept the impermanence of the path. So here we need to understand uh, that impermanence is the permanent. The ongoing process of living and uh, dying and time. And the permanence is the nirvana, the bliss, cessation, relief and so on. So the never-ending, ever-changing and the growing field of practice is this in the Buddhism. So here also that the happiness that uh, spiritual practices uh, promises is not the endless bliss endless joy or soaring. Okay. So who would want that in a world in uh, which there is so much of injustice, so much of tragedy, so much of unhappiness, illness and death. Uh, so to feel the scrows of this impermanence and loss and to appreciate it at the same time profoundly as beautiful essence of what it means to be at all. This is the deep truth that I hear reverberating in the Buddha's last words that where uh, everything vanishes, practice goes on. Yeah. So practicing this impermanence is very important to have the essence of the life fully, I see. Okay, so mm-hmm. a well-covered topic of impermanence uh, by Ms. Ria. So for our listeners, I want to uh, uh, ex- uh, a view or take your view on two things uh, that is um, you speci- uh, specialize in psychology and uh, you yeah. also talked about nirvana so how do you link uh, the topic of nirvana to mental illness 
so as you see uh, that uh, nirvana nirvana yeah. is a word that explains fully grasping the uh, essence of life you yeah see? yeah taking 100% out of your life Yeah, yeah. 100%. So yeah. in psychological terms like uh, all the uh, all the uh, all kinds of uh, disorders and everything mm-hmm. that uh, that somewhere uh, this uh, that affects directly this nirvana. Okay. And uh, yeah, and in very uh, like uh, so talking in a very layman term, if you don't understand uh, that uh, this impermanence mm-hmm. in a very uh, logical way, okay. then uh, the anxiety occurs. If you understand the impermanence mm. and then grasp it as a whole, then uh, the anxiety for uh, what is going to happen next will be gone, and okay. half of the disorders will like flew away from this. Okay. So I think uh, understanding nirvana is very important in the aspect of psychology. Okay, uh, moving on uh, for our listeners, uh, why Buddhism is so much linked to uh, mental illness and psychology. There, I will be sharing two things. One is uh, that um, Buddha was only one of the leaders, uh, religious leaders to be uh, specific, who came out in public in the destigmatization of mental illness. There is a story linked to uh, Patakara and uh, a special case of leprosy. We all know uh, back in those days, uh, leprosy used to be an untouchable disease, having a lot of stigma attached to it. But uh, Gautam Buddha was uh, uh, some someone who came forward in its uh, public appeal that we need to isolate ourselves and get ourselves destigmatized from this uh, deadly illness. So as of now, uh, when we live in this 21st century, the stigma has reduced to a great extent uh, in terms when it comes to the Blackfoot disease or the leprosy. But uh, also another story which especially focuses that how Buddhism is linked to mental illness, the story of Patakara. So there was used to be a daughter of a wealthy merchant and uh, her parents arranged her marriage with a groom of equal social standing. But uh, Patakara refused to marry him, and instead she eloped with the servant whom she loved. Later on, they had a very tough life uh, with less money and living a village life. And luckily, she became pregnant. She asked her husband to take her to the parents' home uh, for better care. But uh, her husband feared that uh, there the uh, the parent the in-laws will torture and imprison him. So he somehow refused. uh the first baby was born uh later on on the uh, after 2 to 3 years she delivered another baby so now she had two sons uh but in the, during this time period after the born of the second child uh her husband died due to some communicable illness and uh, she was a widow now she decided that uh, she would be moving on to her parents house and uh, during this uh, uh, moment she had to cross a river and during the crossing of the river uh, by some way or other uh, the story is quite not revealed uh, the younger child died and now she had only been left with the elder child later on when she arrived at uh, her parents place she was surprised to notice that uh, there was nobody and uh, she came to know from the villagers that uh, due to heavy rains everything has collapsed and 
uh, her parents and brothers all have died in that so now she was left with sorrow guilt and uh, she suffered a lot uh, in terms of uh, being it mental or physical and she started uh, moving and roaming here and there with uh, no clothes and uh, misbehaved and uh, many people treated him illly somehow or other moving here and there she uh, encountered buddha and uh, buddha was very deeply uh, grieving mentally ill woman uh, revealing that uh, to the best of our knowledge no outstanding religious world leader has expressed intimacy with psychiatric patients uh it may be mentioned uh, that in passing hindu survived goddess shiva has lo- uh, loving the mad lord but uh, the story of patakara and her meeting the buddha is not well known in the indian circles in spite of the importance given in uh, it especially in the buddhist literature but uh, the crux of the story is that uh, the compassion of lord buddha for all the sections of humanity and living beings is well known when uh, patakara arrived at buddha's place uh she was deeply disturbed and um, this uh, followers of gautam buddha asked her to just to wash uh, the feet of uh, buddha and she did the same later on she realized uh after an hour or so that uh, after an hour or so she realized that uh, by observing the various rates at which uh, the water trickled uh, buddha's feet she realized that it dawned upon her that some people lived for a short period like her children some for a middle length of time like her husband and others for a longer time like a parent the realization of this of living of this life terms of this birth and death came like an epiphany to her and attained the concept of total detachment buddha made her one of the foremost disciplines and uh, she is well known in the uh, social circles of buddhism and uh, now she is treated with great reference in the buddhist canon indicating that mental illness is not an athenema to be worried about feared about or misinterpreted but rather a condition to be well understood and normally restored another instance in the life of gautam buddha which i mentioned related to leprosy is that uh, which he destigmatized the highly stigmatized and discriminatized illness leprosy there was once a wealthy businessman called savati who had become a disciple of gautam buddha and uh, she is known currently in the buddhist literature by the name of sisathera so she became in- inflicted with a deadly disease called leprosy in those times uh but uh, buddha goes to his bedside nurses him cleans his wounds and as his disciples also help him so they continue to take care of tisatra compassionately till the time of his death so that's why the buddhist philosophy and buddhism has a special role to play in the understanding of psychology and psychiatry and mental and behavioral illness Moving forward, Ms. Ria, can you please uh, uh, discuss mm-hmm. and uh, tell us more about how there is customization of uh, Buddhism in different parts of the world? Because as just I mentioned mm-hmm. in my stats, that Buddhism is widely practiced, uh, undoubtedly by a less percentage of people, but 
and the different parts of the world mm-hmm. uh, though it is restricted more to the asia pacific region but yes uh, some of the north americans and some of the european followers are also there so how there is customization in different parts of the world yeah so actually there are different versions of buddhism in asia and in addition to that in the recent decades uh, we have seen the emergence of something that some people are calling as uh, western buddhism yeah but so uh, that is basically in united states europe and so on yeah so consisting of people who weren't born buddhist but have chosen to adopt buddhist practice in particular uh, the meditation practice yeah. now on uh, so uh, distinctive feature of this western buddhism is that these people don't pay a lot of attention to what some people would call uh, the supernatural parts of buddhism so for example uh, if you uh, took some of uh, these western buddhists and showed uh, them a hungry ghost okay uh, that is there in the scriptures of asian buddhists so uh, the uh, the western buddhists won't be able to tell about it according to the asian buddhists believe that uh, that you might be reincarnated uh, as a hungry ghost in a kind of hell okay if things don't go well so or things or if things go better you might wind up in a heaven and spend years there before being re- uh, reincarnated again so this is a, a division in buddhism we can see and there are also uh, that and other branches of buddhism are also divided in the world wide like uh, there are three main branches of buddhism that you already mentioned yeah 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 these are the theravada mahayana and vajrayana but then don't be fooled as there are many different types of buddhism including uh, zen the thai forest tradition pure land buddhism nirvana buddhism so and so on there are many more so yeah so, so yeah okay so how does uh, the western kind of buddhism differs from the buddhism that uh, is practiced in the asia pacific region so asia yeah 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 because the asia pacific region uh, buddhism as the ones uh, who are already born in the buddhist families but the western buddhism is practiced by most of the people who weren't born in the buddhism religion that uh, they adopted it uh, in the latter phase of their life mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. how does the two differ on the main principle so on the main principle basically they start following up if their uh, family is already into uh, buddhism practice then the child adopts uh, uh, the features of the buddhism and moreover uh, they are into uh, like uh, aiding into the scriptures of buddhism and adopting some parts of it so basically if we consider uh, this western buddhism as a whole then we will see that meditation is the only practice or i would say mindfulness is the only practice that they have taken up and are practicing throughout so and implementing that in the life okay okay uh, good to know uh, so moving on uh, what do you think what are the various practical tips of buddhism that uh, we almost follow in our lives the beat from any social strata any mm-hmm. age group uh, having any kind of profession what are the uh, crux points that uh, tips we must all follow okay so basically buddhism practice is uh, what is known as the spiritual practice you see yeah and uh, many people have this misconception that spiritual life or the religious life is somewhere up there in the sky 
and mystical reality yeah. and that our everyday life is too mundane and not so nice to practice that or uh, we need an extraordinary thing to do that and often people think that uh, to be a spiritual person we must ignore and neglect our everyday life and go on to some another special realm and do it yeah but uh, then actually i think being a spiritual person means becoming a real human being Okay. So in this case that Buddhism unlike any other religion teaches less about the importance of duty and spiritual laws and more about the way of life that can transform the essence of the personhood. Okay. So it is it. And now uh, if I uh, is like uh, for like you ask for the tip so for the school going children if I talk about uh, then yeah. how the how these small kids like uh, till 12 we are kids so uh, for them to so how do they do, uh, uh, adopt this buddhism in their daily life so uh, there are five steps in buddhism those are the important ones even uh, if you uh, take up any book of uh, buddhism you will uh, hear about those, those four noble truths eight 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 fold path and these five steps yeah so these five steps i think are very essential for a student the those are the do not kill do not steal do not abuse or exploit do not lie and do not use drugs so okay. these five steps of uh, buddhism must be lived by to achieve a state of nirvana or enlightenment which is the goal of buddhism so these moral these five moral purposes have a particular way to practice it so if we start with the first one uh, that is do not kill so this purpose applies to all living creatures including the animals and insects like those uh, those, those four five uh, standard kids what do they do in the park like uh, like taking a butterfly and then tearing them apart yeah. and uh, like uh, catching up ladybirds and keeping them in the pencil box yeah. for a long time until they are dead yeah so, that's very common uh, yeah yeah so it is important to stop that and according to do not kill person this is why you will find that the most buddhists live a vegetarian and vegan lifestyle Uh, yeah so uh, going on to the second one that is do not steal that, that means uh, do not take items that are not yours this applies to all items including clothes money food etc like the like if you uh, get some pencil in the playground like taking it up that is also uh, according to buddhism that is incorrect and we must also give to those who need our help yeah like, means means separating yeah, us yeah. from a materialistic world and just mm-hmm. uh, having a sense of satisfaction with the minimum stuffs uh, that yeah. is necessary for, for life yeah yeah if the, if that kid uh, finds that uh, pencil in the ground if he takes it up and then uh, offering it to the maid uh, who is working in the home or any needy person so that is also working uh, in a good buddhism path so we must also give to uh, give to those who need our help and not hoard items for ourselves yeah definitely so, yeah. yeah so this is also uh, applicable to us at mm-hmm. this time of covid and pandemic so we are hoarding up stuff yeah. and not uh, letting other people to have the essentials definitely so, yeah and uh, so going on to the third do not abuse or exploit do not abuse or exploit others sexually mentally physically or emotionally any kids uh, who is a uh, little slow and calling them a failure or something is very uh, is very uh, unfortunate yeah yeah very sensitive for that person so 
uh, we need to understand this in a very uh, Buddhism manner. And the okay. fourth one is not lie. The truth is the utmost importance to Buddhism, as we all know. So do yeah, not yeah, lie. Yeah. yeah. So do not lie. Hide, hide important information and keep secrets. So be clear and open at all times. Is that uh, Buddhism says all the time. And uh, two and the last one, uh, the fifth point is uh, do not use drugs. So this includes the psychoactive uh, psychoactive substances like uh, alcohol, hallucinogens, and other drugs. Okay. So anything, yeah. So these are so all no kind of addiction. Yeah. 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 Be it substance abuse or any kind of other addiction. <laughs> Modern times doesn't only cover cover substance abuse. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so okay. Any yeah, so, anything more? Yeah. So case? why don't? Uh, yeah. So uh, why not to use drugs? Is because anything that can alter your mind is prohibited. Uh, prohibits uh, as it inhibits one's mindfulness, a crucial okay. element of Buddhism. Yeah. So mindfulness is uh, one to uh, to uh, basically uh, mindfulness is achieved when you are conscious enough. And if you alter your consciousness with the help of all these drugs, then you can't achieve that mindfulness level. So, yeah. yeah definitely so moving on uh, uh, how can uh, a middle aged father learn from yeah. buddha because a middle aged father has to take care of the social life of the yeah. as a has got a parenting role to play he has got a job in hand he's also yeah. a son or a brother to somebody uh-huh. and he also is uh, having some uh, personal relations so how to manage everything for a middle aged fa- father Yeah. So, uh, for middle age, no, not even a middle age father. For any, for uh, like, a, for for any single parent who is working okay. or anything like that. For any uh, younger, for any elder sister or brother who okay. is looking after their uh, younger sibling, okay. that also goes uh, accordingly. Okay. So there are uh, five. I according to me, what I think there are five essential Buddhist inspired principles okay. that will help uh, the parenting journey of. any elder person okay so the to start off uh, the first one is invite the concept of impermanence into your life that is very important in okay. our culture in our culture most of us shy away from the idea that things are constantly changing we can't accept that changing uh, a change changing reality yeah. yeah yeah we don't accept it that uh, that readily okay definitely like, yeah we like routine habit consistent hmm. but then there's great system in the buddhist notion that all things are constant mo- are in constant motion and by extension those are impermanent so uh, not to get morbid but death is a part of this all living things die it's simply the natural cycle of life hmm. so we can teach this uh, to the kids not as something scary but uh, by acknowledging the natural process of life whether it's a flower wilting or a pumpkin rotting in the house or a leaf falling apart in the autumn season yeah I mean, so, we have to link this with the nature so that uh, yeah. there is a better understanding and link up uh-huh. yeah definitely so that they uh, they don't get uh, get scared with the impermanence fact yeah So yeah. So one more, and on a more everyday level, we can uh, learn to accept rather than fear change at large. Okay. So we can teach our kids that change is natural, and that the best way to work with impermanence is to be grateful for every day because every day is different and new. So gratitude can be thought of as the opposite of enlightenment. You see. Okay. So yeah. Anything so, more for the? Yeah. 
yeah so this uh, so with this concept of impermanence and underlying anxiety will always exist you see mm. impermanence will uh, you will be very uh, conscious conscious about what is going to happen next yeah. so this impermanence that comes out the sense of insecurity brings yeah. that uncertainty and then mm-hmm. that yeah anxiety so, comes in yeah learn so we need so here we need to uh, make them understand the concept of impermanence with anxiety so it is important to make them learn to be okay with anxiety okay so okay. anxiety is not a sign that something is wrong it is an experience of being alive in an impermanent world it is a essence of experience that we are alive because this is impermanent okay so this is not a feeling that we can fix in ourselves not in our kid uh, kids ourselves anxiety is a normal emotion every human feels yeah. and our suffering around it dissipates yeah. uh, when we acknowledge and accept it okay so, to cut, to cut, to cut yeah. short uh, to cut yeah. short uh, that uh, you mentioned that uh, for the parenting uh, role we must uh-huh. focus on the concept of impermanence and yeah. any other tips for the parent yeah, parenting then, role those who are yeah. playing the role of parents yeah yeah surely then the, with this anxiety uh, there will uh, that will also affect the uh, emotion of the child so okay. here comes the third principle uh, simply pay attention to your child's emotions emotions okay. are not good or bad but this recognize emotions for what they are the messengers with information about the moment we are in so okay. for example uh, right now i'm saying that means the emotion uh, like it's that, that message is that message to whole world that i'm crying it's the moment okay, okay. so uh, knowing that emotions rise up or fall away we can teach kids to learn to process their emotions in the most natural way which is staying present and experiencing them until they pass off and for this you need to trust as parents with this comes the fourth principle that trust that your child is resilient and has to handle all this okay so and, yeah so, so so you focused on four things yeah uh, four. yeah to summarize one is impermanence other uh, yeah. other three other three are uh, learning to be okay with the anxiety okay and third, third one. one is uh, simply pay attention to your child's emotion yeah fourth and one for this uh, you have to trust your child that your child is resilient enough being a human being yeah. and uh, fifth is very essential and this is the last one okay. that stable uh, mind is a powerful mind according to buddhism life yeah. is constantly in a flux we all know mm-hmm. and for that reason stability doesn't come from external circumstances of course but from the way we relate constantly changing circumstances we can choose to cultivate a stable mind so uh, here i would like to say that uh, everything comes from within and even buddhism also says that if you want to cultivate a stable mind it will come from within Okay. it won't come from anything external that uh, that today i want a sunny morning and i'll be okay no it can be a windy or a, a thunderstorm morning but you have to be okay from within so stable mind is a powerful mind yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, very well quoted uh, uh mesria and then moving on to the third circumstance uh, for anybody who is a young couple struggling mm-hmm. to uh, balance the work life and also the standard of living and managing the relations uh, because the mm-hmm. young couples are to be struggling with their relationship as well so yeah. what are the special tips uh, from buddhism for them 
Yeah, so we we two are in uh, this uh, young couple zone. So our lives are so complex, I say, and we lead so many lives like a family life, social life, work life, school life, sports life, spiritual life, and so many more. Yeah. And we have so many relationships like with our partner, friends, our parents, children, and the people we work with, and even the society at large. Yeah. And when we have problems with any of them, like any of them, I just complain. we feel terrible and our life seems to be seems to be fragmented and out of joint but by identifying and focusing on the good points of each we can learn to bring them all into harmony so that our lives work as a whole and we feel uh, and we feel more fulfilled okay so yeah and uh, to this yeah so uh, uh, here we need to uh, be clear with our uh, concept of impermanence okay. and uh, with this uh, the very uh, the very well known notion uh, that is the four noble truths which are the contingency plan for dealing with the suffering of humanity faces okay. so uh, here we need to get clear with that fact too so what does the four uh, four noble truths say that human life has a lot of suffering the second is that the cause of suffering is greed there is an an end to suffering so there is nothing like uh, uh, that this suffering will go on to the uh, to the death bed no every suffering will end and the way to end the suffering is to follow the middle path which is the eightfold path okay so yeah okay uh, so it was also a very detailed explanation to for the young couples and uh, coming to the last scenario that is for the geriatrics the old mm-hmm. age people old age, who, are, yeah. who have just retired or mm-hmm. are residing with their grandchildren in a joint mm-hmm. family or mm-hmm. somebody who is in a old age home so mm-hmm. nobody knows uh, how because the geriatric population has got a, a large variations Uh-huh. we should all understand that uh, children and uh, the pediatric and geriatric uh, needs the same attention and uh, affection but uh, the uh-huh. scenario is altogether different we all have more attention towards the pediatric population not to the geriatric so uh-huh. definitely both are dependent uh, uh-huh. but uh, what are the tips uh, that uh, they can as an individual learn from the religion of buddhism yeah so again the buddha taught that everything changes and many of today's buddhists see that teaching as a patent truism okay, okay. so this teaching that everything changes is a patent truism as a in nowadays so but uh, but suppose we were to rephrase those words to say everything we love and cherish is to is going to age and they are decline and eventually disappear including our own precious cells as well we are also going to die so suddenly this tourism takes on a different coloration and urgency yeah. like, oh god they are going to die yeah so, definitely yeah, yeah yeah so it's all going to go the buddha is saying all of it that everything that matters to us in fact that process is always happening everything is aging and all the time it is so how it is that we didn't notice so when we are young we don't notice in youth life is full of opportunities and when things go wrong and uh, we have our second chances but on the downhill slope of life we start to notice the worrisome finitude of time so we go to more funerals we visit more hospitals we view yeah. with more distance okay so if this is happening okay i'm not hearing it so and we start to feel an hot autumn chill in the air 
so there are joys to of course grandchildren time for travel if you can afford it not every grandparent is having time to do it yeah. or uh, yeah so customization customization at that level is also an issue yeah, yeah. yeah. So the pursuit of a, a long dreams of avocations and new beginnings, as well as this energizing impulse to give back to the community and the society, is there in the uh, geriatric cases we see. Like uh, the people who retire, they say that uh, okay, fine, after retiring, I'm going to open up this uh, particular uh, venture and okay. do this kind of stuff. So yeah. this is somewhere uh, starting of life in a new way, and uh, that nothing ends if a retired stage is coming or the old age is like a welcoming death with uh, like this is the end of the life there is nothing uh, of that sort yeah. so understanding that everything changes and accepting it as a whole is very important so there is also a fresh opportunity to look into to the inner life to revisit okay. uh, the deep question that a busy career and a family responsibility might have long pushed into the background and a regular contemplative practice can indeed be a part of this journey and Buddhism offers rich sources in this area so for the oldest people many such contemplative practices are there from traditional meditations on breathing gratitude and compassion to more innovative reflections on time worry fear and uh, so what i have always terminated as the inner divine is if you practice this then the old age becomes much more in a blossom way so yeah uh, yeah uh, well quoted uh, so uh, to summarize uh, what uh, miss ria quoted uh, there are some real t- life tips to be practiced in daily life uh, be mm-hmm. from any age group so mm-hmm. first we should uh, live in the present moment we should not dwell in the past do not dream of the future mm-hmm. rather on concentrate the mind on the present and be in the moment that is the number one tip that uh, we all agree to then mm-hmm. uh, there are three things uh, that cannot be long hidden that is the sun the moon and the truth uh, that's why mishriya said uh, repeatedly that we must all accept that uh, change is a, is a reality and it will happen so always having worrying issues and anxiety about the upcoming changes is not going to help anytime soon also she told us that uh, the mind is everything what you think uh, you become and also that uh, peace always comes from within that is why we always should have a me time and we always should have an insight into the deeper soul of ourselves um also i want to focus at this moment uh, mm-hmm. is about the concept of self love and having a me time because uh, peace always comes from within so it doesn't matter whether we seek it out or without mm-hmm. also that uh, there is all that we are in the result is due to our thoughts so that's why she always mentioned um, in the briefings that um, it's very important to make our kids understand the concept of uh, no stealing uh, no uh, having a reclination towards a materialistic world mm-hmm. have leading a truthful life and um, also another thing uh, for the best relationship is that um, health is the greatest gift containment is the greatest wealth and faithfulness the best relationship mm-hmm. um, that's why we all need to understand that you yourself as much as anybody in the entire universe deserve your own love and affection so treat yourself as an individual with 
uttermost care best esteem so that you also have the deprivation that uh, you can inculcate the same from the fraternity of the society because unless and until you value yourself none of the uh, peer members or the society at large will have a respect for you uh so misriya uh, moving mm-hmm. on as we all know that uh, meditation is a crucial part and uh, has got a significant role to play in the mm-hmm. uh, practice of buddhism how you see meditation at large okay. and the practice of mindfulness yeah 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 so i'll be explaining this in a very uh, understandable manner so okay. when you act angry or you know you have a great emotion and you will you would grasp that feeling as real at that time okay but uh, when you are meditating or contemplate on those sensation the anger or the fear over anxiety and you will find very interestingly that those things are not real are not concrete so it helps uh, so it, it's to help you to see the very nature of the fear over you know the anxiety and all kind of emotion and you find it very different like uh, like when you see this kind of meditative technique which you uh, which helps you to look from inside okay and you make an analysis kind of okay this is so called anger and you find it's uh, it's just like uh, it's it's just like watching a movie we know that uh, the movie uh, it's a kind of a picture by picture in motion right yeah so uh, when you grasp and uh, it, it is in a in a in a particular speed that is just going and we you grasp it as real okay okay fine it is moving okay but okay. then it is uh, a sequential picture form right picture okay. by picture in motion but, yeah so we are uh, so, but when you know that uh, one by one piece by piece uh about your uh feeling which is uh, uh which is uh, we can understand when you uh, meditate then you understand uh that uh, okay fine uh, this fear or this angerness was coming due to this and this facet so you understand that this is not real and well that would be nice if you uh, like uh, if you would uh, if you could convince just convince yourself that some of the most troublesome and unpleasant feelings aren't real and kind of liberate uh, yourself from them so uh, like if you meditate then you can easily uh, see all the facets of your emotion in a very like picture by picture and you understand that those are not real Okay. Okay. So this is what uh, meditation is, and meditation is an essential practice to move with this and with this look within themselves for the truth and understanding of the Buddha's teaching. And as I explained, that uh, picture by picture, as we see in the theaters, and we are, we know that those are not real, but as it's moving, so we grasp it as real. Okay. Okay. So uh, meditation helps you to understand uh, every facet of emotions and. Uh, and opens up that those are not real you could be easily understanding any situation and can be calm at the same time to uh, handle the situation in a better manner you see okay so uh, this uh, so buddhists they seek enlightenment or nirvana this way so nirvana is freedom from needless suffering and being fully alive and present in one's life so uh, it is not a state that can really be described in words uh, so it goes beyond words so meditation means focusing the mind to achieve an inner stillness 
so it should be a stillness that leads to a state of enlightenment so meditation uh, it, it is not that meditation is uh, you have to uh, be in a closed surface or uh, like chanting om or something like that so meditation has different uh, different forms so like it can be sitting quietly beside a beautiful arrangement of a rock contemplating the beauty and like uh, it can be practicing a martial art like karate or aikido so since they require mental and physical control and strong concentration so and it can be uh, it can mean focusing on a riddle okay so what is the sound of one hand slapping so any yeah. kind of uh, such riddle so uh, mainly it is on focusing you see and it uh, in it can be a meditation room of a monastery so it can involve chanting like very uh, famous chanting in uh, this buddhism is namyo horenge kyo yeah yeah yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah so and the other forms like it can involve the use of mandala to focus attention to the invisible point at the center of interlocking triangles and it can involve quite uh, quietly noticing one's breath as it goes in and goes out and it can happen anywhere and at any time it doesn't need a close close area that you have to practice in this form the meditation meditation can be practiced at any form at any way so these are these were the few forms of meditation as i explained so yeah so uh, definitely uh, mindfulness has uh, moved beyond its earlier status what it used to be just as a religious practice Uh, mm-hmm. now it is a multi billion dollar industry uh, we talk about the top apps available on the weed apple store or the google play store it's yeah. a headspace calm insight timer aura and satwa so the things are changing the practices and the way of leading the life is also changing uh, but uh, mindfulness still has got its role to play but uh, as an individual as a mental health expert i feel that mindfulness always works the best when it is seen as a means of living a full contented life rather mm-hmm. than another thing to add on to a do to do list it should mm-hmm. be a part of life rather than uh, just a thing to be done in the morning routine or in the afternoon time for 15 to 30 minutes that mm-hmm. will not be much useful uh, for our listeners i want to just uh, have a, share some think very special to my heart that uh, there is a book by dr mark estine uh, advice not given Uh, in which uh, he talks about mindfulness uh, the things related to it uh, what brings to the special uh, mention of uh, dr epstein in this podcast is that he himself is a psychiatrist by profession and also a buddhism practitioner so that's why i think uh, that um, if you find time listeners you must go through this book advice not given by dr mark epstein moving on uh, moving on further um uh, Ms Ria is also a graphologist by profession and she has got a experience in that field so graphology is the analysis of physical characteristics and patterns of handwriting claiming uh, to be able to identify the writer indicating the psychological state at the time of writing or evaluating personality characteristics mm-hmm. uh, many laymen consider it as a pseudoscience but uh, I personally coming from a scientific background uh, I think that it has got a lot of science attached to it so Ms Ria can you uh, put some throw some light on this graphology yeah. concept because a lot of people are not well aware of this Ashali uh, sir so uh, so in graphology our subject is not what a person has written but uh, how it is written basically 
yeah. reflects to the size, class, pressure, pastosity, angle, nerves, hooks, accessories, uh, and uh, connectivity. So many aspects of writing are there. So we analyze on that. For this, we have to uh, split the whole writing into its part, as mentioned above, and uh, and understand the meaning of those parts and uh, as the element of the behaviors. At the end, we will assemble all those parts, one with the relevant others, and to develop a whole personality analysis. So okay. uh, here we need to also, as you said, that it's a pseudo science. So okay, I will prove it. No, 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 no. I am yeah. not saying. To, I am saying, yeah. but in perception in general, uh, people general, think it, it as a general, it as a pseudo science. Mm-hmm. But I personally feel that it has got a lot of scientific of backup. Of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. So I'll explain this in a very scientific manner that our brain stores messages in ionized form. We know that. Yeah. So uh, when we write, we think. As well, uh, when we write, we think. As well as uh, we press our fingers, which through the series of processes goes through the brain and strikes the coded area, and the ions decode and we uh, release the neurotransmitters, which are actually the chemical messengers. Okay, yeah. so the movement of ions create impulses that spreads out, uh, spreads over the muscles through the series of activities and through central nervous system to peripheral nervous system and mo- and motivate our pain to perform the strokes we call writing. Yeah. Okay. So handwriting is actual, uh, actually the brain writing. So hand is merely a tool to do that and that carry the instruction which originates in the cerebral uh, cerebral cortex uh, from where it get decoded of ionized stored messages and help uh, and uh, this way our graphologists uh, can easily read the stored messages from the individual strokes and patterns. Yeah. So it's just like a doctor reading ECG report or a seismographic uh, graphic uh, reading the frequency of the earthquake. So it is that. So basically our handwriting is like the brain graph. So yeah, it is. Okay. So can you uh, tell me more about how can from a handwriting we can tell about the personality any special okay. things uh, for the interest of our listeners? Okay. That, so, uh, yeah. 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 So uh, as you know that uh, we all started uh, writing in those four liners English. Uh, yeah, yeah. We all know that. So yeah. we have uh, practiced our handwriting in uh, cursive writing. All those uh, cursive uh, workbooks were there yeah. on the dotted lines we used to do. And yeah. in class four, a third or fourth, we used to write in all those four liners English notebooks. Yeah. So how come that uh, all of a sudden when we are this grown up and all our writings have uh, like a small or are in a different slant or their height have decreased or their lower zones have uh, squeezed up and how it is happening. Okay. It is of the interesting fact that our uh, practicing at that age in the third and fourth has uh, has accumulated a lot more experiences and our attitudes have changed in the in the coming t- with the time uh, passing passing out so our writing and uh, as I say that our brain stores messages in an ionized form and we are putting it up uh, out uh, through our uh, hand okay. so uh, it is having an effect in our handwriting as well okay so, so clinic- yeah. cl- clinically uh, how much uh, 
graphologist practice clinically means uh, what i know from my knowledge that uh, in uh, child psychology uh, and adolescent psychology they practice uh, especially in this kids of autism and uh, ptsd uh, things uh, they have a role to play otherwise in what kind of illnesses do you think that uh, graphology can play a significant role in coming days means if we inculcate in our daily day to day clinical practice because uh, with the coming times we will be moving more towards the integrative approach uh-huh. there will be use of multiple personal rather than a single doctor having their own clinic we will be having uh-huh. an approach in which there will be a psychiatrist there will be multiple psychologists and there will be some uh, technical staff as well and uh-huh. now mentioning about the interesting factor of graphology what do you think what kind of mental illness graphology can play a significant role to okay. play okay so uh, graphology already have a different uh, Uh, field as known as the medical graphology yeah. so medical graphology helps us to understand the zone and the graphic distribution of the upper middle and the lower zone uh, okay. it is divided in those four liners okay. as i think so yeah. Uh, yeah so already there are a few techniques uh, and already in uh, practicing medical graphology we can easily diagnose depression uh, ocd Okay. and uh, psychotic or neurotic like a uh, schizophrenia yeah. type one, uh, even the conversion disorder in type 1 and type 2 so we can easily do that but uh, so these are already practicing uh, thing that is going on in medical graphology okay okay uh, very good insight by ms riya about graphology and its use in medical sciences and i hope in coming days uh, in the medical future approach will be having more inclusion so finishing off and bringing it to the conclusion scenario i want to just we missed on one thing that is inner peace the concept of inner peace but mm-hmm. uh, we all said that meditation is important inner peace and uh, having an insightful approach to the soul is very important but, uh, but as a behavioral and mental health expert i must say that inner peace can become another addiction so we turn to mindfulness to turn down uh, the noise of our lives to reduce the cravings that besets us so it is only natural to grow attached to the feeling of all pervasive calm that often results from mindfulness but no matter how long we meditate invariably we have to return back to the hurried rhythms of our daily existence so mindfulness should not be seen as an escape from our daily routine but rather a way of being more present to our experience so that it enables us uh, to have a no longer feeling overwhelmed by them so uh, before concluding mistria can you just uh, summarize uh, the take away take away home messages uh, for yeah. our listeners because so, they have a very uh, little attention span yeah, yeah, in, yeah. in the current scenarios yeah, yeah. So according to Buddhism, uh, in practicing like in this the Buddha in the city, yeah. So there are three universal truths. Even okay. if you uh, take up any of the books, the main book is in the Dharma Kada yeah. of Buddhism. So uh, the three summarizing point would be everything in life is impermanent and always changing. Yeah. and we can't be clingy to any of the aspects like even the feelings of the other person that can even change and we can't be very sure sure that this person will be there uh, beside me throughout the life no even you even you are changing even inside me the feeling towards a particular aspect of the life is changing changing yeah continuous so process is going on yeah yeah, yeah. third one third one uh the second one the second okay. one is because uh, yeah so okay. uh, because nothing is permanent a life based on po- uh, possessing things and person 